you always wanted to hear the hockey stories told from the press box? For your premier source of hockey prospect news from across the AHL, NCAA, Canadian Hockey League, and international leagues, this is your all-access pass to The Press Zone, a hockey podcast packed with news, analysis, interviews, and entertainment featured on AHLReport.com. Your hosts, Amy Johnson and Rick Stevens, are experienced, credentialed hockey reporters bringing you stories built from strong connections throughout the hockey community and from inside rinks all across North America. Welcome to The Press Zone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Press Zone, the first episode of 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm your host, Amy Johnson, the lead correspondent here at the AHL Report. And you heard him right there. He said hello and Happy New Year to you already. He's my fabulous co-host and I couldn't do this show without him every week. He's our founder and editor-in-chief and that is the one and only Rick Stevens. Happy New Year to you. Well, I said Happy New Year to our listeners. I'll also say Happy New Year to you. I am Aww, I'm gracious. Thanks. Um, thanks. And say Happy New Year, even though. Well, I'm was... not here to gloat. <laughs> I'm not here to gloat. I'm not a gloaty kind of person when it comes to this kind of stuff because we have my co-host is Canadian. We have a lot of loyal Canadian listeners and friends and fans and followers. Um, so I'm not a gloaty person. Yes, and the U.S. won gold last night. but And I'm happy for them. And um, that's that. <laughs> no, and, and we know in sports, sometimes, sometimes the best team doesn't win. We know that. Oh, well, if you want to change my... If you want to change my outlook on gloatiness and no smack talk on this show. Sometimes the best team doesn't win. Sometimes the best team um, exposes the other team for not showing up. So, you know, <laughs> if you want to go there. <laughs> Is this on the agenda anywhere? Are we talking about this somewhere? Um Yes and no. Yes and no. Anyway, uh, congratulations to to Team USA on their gold medal. And and congratulations to Team Canada on a very uh, exceptional tournament. They played very well. Um, they they just didn't have it all last night. Um, and, and that's not that they played poorly. Um, and uh, I thought it was actually a, a, a pretty good pretty good game. Uh, we are going to talk about a lot of hockey today, believe it or not, because my goodness, the news is overflowing. Uh, training camps have started. We're going to touch on those uh, in the first segment. That's NHL training camps, I should say. Uh, so we're going to touch on that and and new things that have come out with the, the start of uh, the new NHL season, which is a week away, believe it or not. That's insane to even... Th- 
realize that it's a week away. Uh, but you're really going to want to stick around for segment two, uh, because we have a lot to talk about, about the AHL season, which is a month away. Uh, and uh, this week was just a bevy of information coming out about uh, divisions and who, which teams are playing and which teams aren't and uh, how many games might they play. And there's just so much to cover. Uh, and in fact, we've got a very special guest, uh, our our friend and colleague, Patrick Williams uh, from the uh, NHL.com and from EP Ringside. Uh, he'll be joining us in the second segment to help us break down everything that's happening with the AHL. Uh, and then finally, yes, in the third segment, when we go beyond the AHL, we've got a little bit of ECHL news and you know, not necessarily uh, recapping last night's gold medal game, but just uh, a short just review of, of the prospects we were paying attention to uh, it, now that the World Junior Tournament is in the books for 2021. Well, it's, it's, it's all here. It's all happening. Mm. Uh, so in the first segment, we start with training camps. Let's start with the Montreal Canadiens. Um, their camp started uh, on Sunday when they reported for uh, medicals and so forth. Uh, Mark Bergevin had a little press conference that afternoon, um, and they've they've had uh, you know Group A, Group B practices this week. I think they have a scrimmage coming up um, pretty soon this week. Um, but Rick, what's you know the the big news was okay. You know you're getting your first looks at Tyler Toffoli. You're getting uh, you know um, Michael Forleek is 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 here. Corey Perry finally took the ice yesterday. Um, and so what are, what's fr- your first look of how uh, Claude Julian was was pretty uh, concise to say that the lines that we're seeing uh, in camp so far are pretty much probably what we're going to see next week when the season starts because of this condensed schedule. There's not a lot of time for a lot of shuffling around. So were there any big surprises or any anything big that's jumped out to you so far? I don't think so. I think um, the Canadians have taken um, a different pro- uh, approach. Uh, it's, uh, some teams are doing it this way. Other teams are kind of dividing up their camp, um, even talent-wise, the Group A, Group B thing. The Canadians have put all of of the players that have a chance to be on the roster essentially in Group A, uh, the, La- the Laval Rocket people um, or the, the, the folks headed to the Laval Rocket, unless there's major surprises, are in Group B. Uh, they practice... Um, uh, in early afternoon, the Group A folks practice in the morning. Uh, the lines have been for three days uh, of on ice training. The lines have been uh, pretty stable. Um, you have, uh, let's say, three, uh, three a, a top nine and and two fourth lines. You have. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the top six pairing on the defense, or, or top four pairing on the defense, and and two third pairings, I would say, yeah. uh, and the extra players, um, and they've looked um, relatively this the same as you might expect. Uh, Claude Julien has decided to uh, keep his number one line together. There was uh, talk about whether or not the the um, the two young players who had p- performed so well in the playoffs would be moved up, but he's kept Dano, Tatar, and Gallagher together. Uh, Duran and uh, Anderson are with Nick Suzuki on the uh, second line, and Kotkaniemi is with uh, Toffoli and Armia on the third line. Those have been those have been pretty stable. What about, uh, you are actually the one that, that pointed this out to me, um, the 
that right now, as far as the goaltending shuffling around, that uh, Charlie Lindgren has not been practicing with Group A as as the third. Uh, In fact, he's been practicing with Group B, with McNiven playing uh, with Group A. What do you think is the the reasoning behind that? A couple of different philosophies and approach, right? You can, you can have your NHL goaltenders, uh, the, the, your number one goaltender and your backup, and then uh, a third goaltender on your taxi squad who's capable of stepping in and playing at the NHL level. And so in that case, you might have expected Charlie Lindgren to be practicing with, with Group A. It's not been Charlie Lindgren. It's been uh, Michael McNiven. Uh, why would Michael McNiven be there? Well, maybe you want uh, your um, number three goaltender to be assigned to the AHL so he can mentor your best goaltending prospect. That would be Lindgren mentoring Caden Primo. And uh, the the third goaltender, the taxi squad goaltender, isn't going to be getting into games um is is going to be there for uh, uh, taking practice shots uh, to give Carey Price a break. Uh, so we saw that uh, Michael McNiven was thrown to the dogs essentially oh. last year and and uh, and peddled from ECHL team to ECHL team. Well, he's got the the role um, as uh, and 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 no, it's not been set in stone. But given the way these groups are set up, it looks like Michael McNiven is destined to be the taxi squad goaltender, with uh, Lindgren and Primo uh, manning the nets in in uh, Laval. Demchenko being being uh, the the third uh, goaltender who may, um, depending on the AHL rules, if they demand a third goaltender, he'll be around. Otherwise, may end up in the ECHL. Absolutely. Whew. It's a lot to keep track of, um, and and we'll see uh, if if that changes at all uh, in in over the course of the next week. But as we said, uh, Claude Julian was was pretty quick to say what you're seeing is probably what you can expect to see. Um, should note for uh, on the flyer side of things, however, there's been a lot of line line shuffling going on. I, I first want to uh, round of applause. I noticed that uh, Bill Meltzer uh, had had tweeted this the other day. Um, one of them that, and I noticed it in the pictures that were coming out of Voorhees out of training camp as well. Um, the Flyers this year at training camp have their names and numbers on the back of their practice jerseys. Oh my goodness! It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. Congratulations! I hope this is a permanent change. Um, not that you can't tell who Claude Giroux is or Jake Voracek, those kinds of guys. But when they're well, all, well gritty Voracek, gritty, gritty well, yeah, Voracek, yeah, gritty. Which one is it? You can't tell from afar. But sometimes, you know, in in the speed of the game, when you're watching uh, practice, particularly with prospects who sometimes at a young age all look the same, <laughs> uh, it's really hard to quickly determine who's doing what when you're trying to read tiny little numbers on their helmets from afar. So uh, congratulations. I'm so I'm thrilled to hear that the Flyers have adopted names and numbers on the back of their practice jerseys. But um, Elaine Vigneault has been playing around with his lines a bit more there, um, trying to to determine what's going to be the best fit. Uh, the Flyers have also been scrimmaging every day. They do a, a Group A and Group B um, 
practice in the morning and then immediately after that in the early afternoon they do a scrimmage so they have been scrimmaging every day so far uh rick the big things as far as flyers camp so far um nolan patrick cleared his physicals and he's back uh that's that's enormous and sam moran's no longer a defenseman he's going to play left wing now <laughs> that was <laughs> yes <laughs> I heard somebody characterize it as the uh, following the the Nicholas Delorier uh, model, uh, transitioning him from from mm. defense to to left wing. I don't know that, that that's very complimentary uh, uh, towards Samurai. Made my eye twitch. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's boy, and he said, "Oh well, I was a forward in minor hockey." Well, that's that's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, Good luck to him. I and and I mean, and I listen. Hope it works. If, if this is how he uh, finds a place in um, in the NHL lineup, um, because we know he's going to need waivers to go go down. If if that's the case, um, pretty tough to to uh, just uh, put on waivers a, a guy of that size and and that potential. Um, it's uh, it's going to be tough, and 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 yes, uh, you know he's got the size; he, he can probably uh, adapt to playing on the boards. But it's it's uh, as somebody else pointed out, the view from uh, the blue line uh, in the offensive zone is very different from the view in front of the net, and all of those those things that he's used to as far as uh, timing and 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 and. and putting himself in the right place and uh, it's completely different. And um, he's been, you know, watching tape of Matt Martin and, and, uh, and trying to take some cues there, but, but being a left winger and moving your feet and staying involved and anticipating, uh, anticipating the play and, and reading what's going to happen is completely different uh, from, uh, from being a defenseman. Uh, but, you know, he's giving it a, a, a college try right now. Well, you know, I, I give him credit for that. Sam Moran has had a tumultuous beginning of his pro career. It's been a really difficult couple of years for him. Um, we absolutely hope that he stays healthy. Um, uh, being a forward, I, I, you know, I also worry about his his injury prone areas. Uh, but but if, as you say, if if he feels and agrees with the coaching staff that um, this is a worthwhile thing to give a shot to to give him a chance at making the NHL roster. Then good for him for being open to it. Um, he did uh, the first day of camp. He put in a little rebound goal, uh, which was which was pretty fun. Uh, second day yesterday, he said it was a was a lot harder, uh, and that conditioning is is definitely going to be something that he's going to need to focus on. Uh, he said yesterday, you know, had a hard day today, made some mistakes. There's there's a learning curve there, but also the conditioning is a lot different. So um, he's got a lot of work to do, um, and unfortunately, not a lot of time to work on it. So. We'll see what happens in the next week, but but good for him. Um, and also, congratulations to Nolan Patrick. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he's 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 not talking a lot about his condition um, 
focusing more on the fact that he's just really happy to be playing hockey again and really happy to be back on the ice with the guys again. Uh, and I think that was a very, in addition to Oscar Lindblom being back uh, and and raring to go, uh, I, it's just incredible to see Nolan Patrick. And I'm, I'm excited to see what a healthy, uh, knock on wood, Nolan Patrick can do in the NHL. Well, uh, of course, yeah. You haven't you haven't had this guy uh, available to you for the past two seasons, and this isn't just this is this is the number two overall pick in the twenty seventeen draft, mm-hmm. and to just throw that into the mix, that's uh, that's got to be a pretty exciting for Flyers management and Flyers fans. Absolutely, um, you know, question marks of okay, so are there any of those kind of cusp players who? maybe have spent some time on the NHL squad and are toeing the line of would they be, you know, group A, group B, taxi squad kind of thing. Well, for the Canadians, it was uh, it didn't take long for Jordan Wheel <laughs> to uh, find himself on group B. Uh, Ryan Paling staying with, with group A, uh, but Jordan Wheel has been practicing with group B for the past couple of days. Uh, on the flyer side of things, it's been Mark Friedman. And we, we know we talked a lot about Mark Friedman last year. He made some progression, uh, had some good moments when he did play with the flyers. Uh, right now, however, the depth on, on the blue line for Philadelphia is is there's just so many options. It's looking right now uh, that he's probably going to be taxi squad um, material. Um, perhaps uh, he's been practicing with Group B as well. So we'll see how that all flushes out. Uh, one other thing to note on the Montreal Canadiens side, uh, one name that you will not see in a Laval Rocket jersey this year is Alexander Alain. Uh, the Canadians announced that he informed the team that he would not be reporting for training camp this week as he has decided to focus on his education and his studies full-time. He's um, not sure about uh, the, the the remainder of the future of his hockey career, but for right now he he's going to prefer to concentrate on his studies and his ed- education. So they uh, mutually agreed to terminate his contract. So we wish Alexander Elan uh, best of luck. That's not a, it's not an easy decision to make. He's 23. Uh, he's still pretty young. Um, but uh, I, I, I appreciate the taking his education seriously, you know, in a year like this with a, with a pandemic, I think maybe some younger players had their eyes opened of, you know, Rick, we talk all the time about life after hockey um, and with such uncertainties with the AHL and whatnot this year, I think maybe some players got an earlier look at what that might look like. Um, and and maybe that forces decisions like this. And all you have to do, and it's been a while since we talked about it on this podcast, but we ran down not so long ago uh, the number of forwards that, uh, that the Canadians have signed already. Uh, and that are destined to the AHL. Remember, they were trying to set up a, an ECHL team too. So when you have Lucini and Blandizi and and Hizamudinov and Teasdale and uh, Baddock and and Dafan and Lynch and I mean, uh, uh, you 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 just start to do the numbers game in your head, and you think you know maybe that it's going to be difficult to have a place. And uh, and so he had options, and he he uh, chose uh, the option of education, and you got to support him in that. Absolutely, you do. Uh, speaking of of uh, people that you won't see in an AHL jersey on the flyer side for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, uh, one uh, couple couple guys who are not at camp, Kirill Ustamenko. Um, is going to actually be out for four to five months. He had to go undergo surgery on his left hip to. Re- 
repair a torn labrum. Uh, so he is out. So the, you know, I we'll see how it how it turns out. But, uh, you know, you've got Carter Hart, Brian Elliott, Alex Lyon. Um, Sandstrom is there and uh, Roddy Ross, who was, I believe, a sixth round draft pick last year or the year before for the for the Flyers are the are the goaltenders in camp for them. Also, Isaac Ratcliffe uh, sustained a fractured rib in training and will be out a minimum of four weeks. So it's going to be at least a month before we see anything from Isaac Ratcliffe as well. Um, David Kasha, Linus Hulgberg, German Rupsoff, and Maxim Sushko all are still playing in Europe. Uh, it's unknown at this point whether or not they will be returning for uh, for AHL camp, but they are still playing over in Europe. So lots of moving parts, lots of things to keep track of, but uh, training camps are going to be kind of fast and furious this year. And uh, when we reconvene here again next week, we'll have a pretty good idea. We'll be one day away from the start of the season uh, for the NHL, so we'll have a pretty good idea of what those rosters are going to look like. Um, and now, Rick, I'm sure you're just make sure you're spending the next week practicing the official names of every NHL division. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And what's that? Uh, well, you know, it's not just the, the East or the Central or the... It's not even a Canadian division. So it's the Smythe division. It's the Norris division. It's no. the Adams division. No, 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 I'm sorry. Historical no. hockey names. No. Um. If instead you felt like it, you could call it the Scotia NHL North Division or the Honda NHL West Division or the Discover NHL Central Division or the Mass Mutual NHL East Division, then you'd be right. Uh, the NHL in, you know, understandably, every every team and leagues are going to need to find new ways for revenue generation this year. We already have seen a number of teams are going to be doing sponsorship uh placement on helmets this year and uh, the NHL has sold naming rights to each of their four divisions this year and Rick I think you had mentioned to me it's estimated that that probably came in at a pretty steep uh, steep uh, steep cost for some revenue now no numbers were revealed but uh, a business analyst said that uh, the naming rights for each division would probably probably be in the mid seven figures so Ooh. five six million dollars. Um, and with the league and teams looking for uh, additional sources of revenue, revenue uh, these are the kinds of things that are being auctioned off. Um, mm -hmm. We're promised that there's going to be more uh, virtual glass uh, ads uh, this year. Those those are something I've always despised. There's going to be advertising on the tarps uh, that are are covering oh. the the seats. There's there's uh, those kind of ways to to, to generate. Revenue and and so far the attitude I think uh, you know the helmet advertising um, has uh, the attitude from most fans is uh, okay but for this year only right right and that's going to be the test is because once you once you bring in these kind of revenue flows it's pretty tough to turn off that tap right and I can understand as I said you know it's we are in unprecedented times uh, I can understand the need. For to get a little creative, to uh, find new ways to generate revenue, to to keep yourself afloat and 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 keep things keep the lights on and keep your staff paid and and things of that nature. Um, how many of them will then <laughs> be used to try to make it a permanent change? Well, we'll see. Um, 
you know, people say, oh, what about, you know, advertising on uh, jerseys? In fact, I saw a mock-up that somebody did of, here's what next year's NHL Flyers jersey is going to look like. And it had, you know, a giant Wawa logo across the bottom. And a Well, that's just it. Is is it the, the Burger King North Division quarterfinal <laughs> playoff? <laughs> I mean, it's... If we all get free Whoppers, I might be okay with that. Um, yeah, I mean, just to ask any Laval player who has a giant yellow chicken on their <laughs> on the right side of the front of their jersey, because Saint Hubert is is their is their sponsor. So we shall see. Um, you know, and you you talk about those tarps uh, at the Florida teams. Uh, Tampa and and the Panthers have announced that there will be uh, limited capacity for fans. They're selling tickets. Uh, Florida, uh, the Panthers are going to be allowing up to 25% capacity, which will be a, a roughly around 5,000 fans. Uh, Tampa Bay, I think, is going to be somewhere around 3,000 fans. We'll see how long that lasts. We'll see how that works out. Um, it's not going to be a whole lot of teams that are able to do that, but... Oh, it's an adventure. It is an adventure, and uh, we're about a week away from embarking on it, and uh, we'll be here with all the news about it. Uh, what we are going to bring you, however, right after this break, we've got a fantastic interview coming your way with the one and only Patrick Williams from NHL.com and EP Ringside. He's here with us today to break down all the latest about the return of the AHL season, which teams have opted in, which have opted out, uh, and what are you going to do with uh, teams that have to play different numbers of games? So don't go anywhere. We'll get to that and more right after this. The Press Zone is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. Be sure to follow us on social media. Find us on Twitter at The AHL Report. Check out our original game photography on Instagram at AHL Report. And watch our exclusive video interviews with players, coaches, and other notable hockey names on our YouTube channel at AllHabs. Just remember to turn on notifications so that you never miss a video. The AHL Report, your premier source for Laval Rocket, Lehigh Valley Phantoms, and all American Hockey League news. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit AHLReport.com and click the Join Our Team tab at the top of the page today.
Welcome back to the Press Zone right here on the AHL Report. Once again, I'm your host, Amy Johnson, joined by my co-host, Rick Stevens. And be sure you're following us on Twitter, actually. You can follow us at the AHL Report. If you're a Flyers fan, we've got a special account for you as well. You can follow us at the Flyers Report. uh, And that's where, particularly with training camp starting and and the the season about to get uh, underway here, uh, we'll have lots of Flyers news there for you as well. Um, this segment is when we go around the AHL, but really, um, well, what better way to kick off the new year here on the press zone than starting things off, uh, with our very first special guest interview of 2021 is none other than Patrick Williams, NHL.com correspondent and columnist at EP ringside, and pretty much the go-to guy for all of the news coming out of the AHL, which, uh, Patrick seems to be, uh, quite a bit this week. (laughs) Welcome and uh, Happy New Year. We're so glad to have you on today. Happy New Year and thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Um, so, uh, as, as we were, we were just talking, uh, before the show and we said, you know, if we, if we tried to run down A to Z, all of the, all of the topics to cover with the AHL news this week, we'd have you here probably for the rest of the week. So we're just going to focus on a few of the big hot spots and, and things that maybe are more of a question mark right now to try to suss out how this is all going to work for the American League. Let's let's first start with, we know now that there are 28 teams who are going to play, and that means that three teams opted out Um Springfield, Charlotte, and Milwaukee. So my first question is is really um, because I saw Scott Housen making some comments this week as well that you know he wasn't necessarily sure that they would even get to twenty eight. From from your sources, was was three opting out kind of around what they were thinking would be the case, or were they expecting more teams to to not be able to play this season? I think three three teams, all things considered, uh, was kind of the best case scenario for them. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, Charlotte and Milwaukee for for quite a while had uh, been of the mindset that they were not going to play this year. Uh, so that was pretty much well known. Springfield was a little bit on the fence for a while. And I, I know talking to different people that St. Louis and Springfield did really try uh, really hard to make it work, but uh, the numbers just didn't add up financially and um, the biggest concern I think for, for any team right now, either the ones playing or not playing is, is not doing any long-term financial damage uh, to your American league franchise. Um, if, if you don't manage this situation correctly, uh, both in terms of this season and just going forward, uh, you really do run the risk of some, some severe financial uh, impact. Um, so, I think teams, especially, you know, you, you speak with Milwaukee, for example, and, and their, their thinking is that um, the risk just is not worth the reward right now, be it financially, be it, uh, you know, the, the risk of health. Uh, you know, there is still a, a virus out there that's uh, uh, definitely rampaging across uh, both countries. Uh, and uh, there's the logistical challenges of that as well, uh, trying to, to navigate testing and, and safety and all those various protocols. So uh, for those teams, I don't think uh, uh, it, it made sense. But I know that's uh, what was able to keep things at, at three teams and, and, and prevented it from going much further than that was um, 
they were able to get some flexibility into the scheduling uh, plan. Uh, originally, there was a, a wide disparity of uh, games that teams were looking at and um, wanting everybody to play the same number of games. And uh, you know, it was ranging somewhere from 30 games to 50 games, you know, which oh, was wow. just not they were not going to be able to bridge that gap uh, without some flexibility built in the system. So the league stepped in, got uh, a, a minimum of 24 games in that everybody does have to play. And then from there gave uh, teams the freedom to uh, play more games as they saw fit. So we'll see some teams in the Pacific division, for example, play up to 40 games. Uh, and a lot of the teams in the East, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of the low thirties. Uh, so once some of those teams that wanted to play fewer games knew that they could do so. Uh, that got a lot more teams on board. And, and I think the biggest thing is, is also just there's that domino effect uh, of, you know, if, say, your Lehigh Valley, your Hershey, and your Wilkesbury, um, you know, if one team doesn't want to play, that starts to impact the other teams. So everybody, it's kind of a, a game of uh, – chicken almost you know it's like well i'll play if you play but <laughs> if you don't play i'm not going to play right uh, so um the teams really are, are stressing the need to keep the travel um to an absolute minimum this year um which i'm not entirely sure how they're going to do out west uh because you're relying on commercial air travel in some cases mm-hmm. um that seems extremely difficult and i've i've yet to get a much of an answer on that uh, how they're going to navigate that, uh, you know, from a safety standpoint, because you can keep all all the testing and all the protocols in place that you want, but once you put your players into an airport and they're sit, sitting at the gate for two hours and they're on a plane, uh, you know, with the public, uh, kind of that, a lot of that safety goes out the window at that point. So I think that's something they still really have to sort through and and try to come up with some sort of workable solution. So before we leave the the topic of teams and teams participating, uh, for the teams not participating, opting out, that means uh, they still need to do something with their prospects. And mm-hmm. and we've seen that uh, there's going to be a shared affiliation arrangement with uh, the Blues, that is Springfield sending their players to Utica, the Panthers, Charlotte sending their players to uh, Syracuse. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with uh, Milwaukee just yet. Um but this isn't something we, I mean, this is something we've seen before uh, in the American Hockey League. You think back to the Hamilton Bulldogs and there was a, a shared uh, affiliation arrangement between Montreal and, and Edmonton. Didn't always work all that well. Um, but it's been a while since we've we've seen uh, that maybe. And, and maybe if you can explain to to um, listeners how how those shared affiliations can work and how they populate rosters two two NHL clubs populate a single AHL roster yeah uh, uh, exactly that's a great way to describe it I, I would say um, there usually seems to be kind of a uh, um, uh, let's say a, a team that has the upper hand in that relationship uh, they tend to get the final say as far as the NHL Um and that's where a lot of, of these situations really start to run into some difficulties because if, uh, you know, if I'm sending one of my goalies and it's not really my team, you know, it's not my affiliation, well, my goalie that is getting kind of, he's getting squeezed on playing time. Um, you know, my players maybe aren't playing the system I want them to play. They're not playing the roles that I would like them to play. 
Um, and that's where a lot of these dual affiliations over the years have started to really um, go sideways. And uh, it's something why, you know, teams really starting to get away from that. I mean, at one point, Edmonton, uh, around the mid-2000s, was sending the, their prospects to five different clubs. And, I mean, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, there's no cohesion. There's uh, It's very difficult logistically to get uh, – FaceTime with your with your players for, for skill development and coaching and um, just, you know, your players are scattered all over the map. So uh, it's something that uh, everybody really did try to get away from. Um, it's, I'm trying to remember the last one that really there was. Uh, I mean, they, I guess uh, St. Louis in 2017 was the most recent example where they scattered some of their players among different clubs. That, that was a one-year deal. Um, I think – this is only happening right now, given the circumstances. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, with with the emphasis that teams put on development, um, it's something that I think they desperately did not want to do. But uh, there's really no choice. And um, I think, truthfully, for for some of these clubs, it's just a matter of getting their players any ice this year. And uh, they won't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. It, you know, if they have to go for a one-year dual affiliation, well, so be it. And then uh, they're crossing their fingers that by next fall they can uh, get back to their normal situations. Absolutely. You started to to go into a little bit of, of that disparity in the number of games being played. I know um, mm-hmm. there was supposed to be some, some discussion uh, about the scheduling matrix and so forth yesterday. What are the latest what's 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 the latest you're hearing on that and and just what are now kind of the as as we were saying a little earlier, now looks like that uh, you know, in a typical AHL season, the the Pacific teams usually play less games than than those in the east uh, but that might be flip-flopped this year yeah uh, it's a little bit of a weird um you know reversal of roles um and that, that's kind of been a sore point for some clubs over the years anyways that that um disparity in number of games but um uh, for this year everybody i think is just taking the mindset we just want to be on the ice period and and Whatever happens, happens from there. Um, so it looks like, uh, yeah, yeah, yesterday they, they voted on the schedule matrix, uh, number of games for teams. Uh, like you said, 40 teams are in that ballpark uh, for the Western clubs, uh, somewhere in the low 30s for the teams in the East. And now they have, now the challenge is to try to stitch together a schedule from that. Uh, and um, it'll, it'll be Almost exclusively divisional, I believe uh, there will be a little bit, uh, you know, you know, with uh, uh, some clubs that might cross over if there's a division nearby. But for the most part, uh, it's going to be uh, exclusively divisional. Obviously, the Canadian clubs will all have to play within the same four-team uh, grouping there. Uh, so that's that's an issue. I think if you're going to look further ahead into the playoff format. Um, what do you do if at some point uh, the Canadian club advances to the final, for example, and they have to play an American club and the American club can't cross the border. So that's mm. just one of the many issues that they're, they're, they're confronting at some point. Uh, I think for, for, for now they want to focus on that regular season schedule and just get something else. And, and, uh, 
cross that bridge with the playoffs if and when uh, the time is right for that. Uh, but uh, I expect a kind of a definitely a strange schedule. We'll see. As we've seen before, I think we'll see a lot of the two-game series out west. Uh, which is, is fairly common um, even in normal times. Uh, in the East, I think we'll just see kind of a hodgepodge of whatever they can throw together. And um, I also expect that, you know, given that there won't be fans uh, in most places, that we'll see a lot of um, kind of weird times. We'll see afternoon games during the week. We'll see, you know, uh, games on Mondays, you know, sort of the less typical uh schedule that we would normally see uh you know from the traditional friday saturday sunday uh format so uh, it's gonna be a little bit different for sure and um i think even when they do have a schedule we'll see a lot of adjustments on the fly as uh situations possibly crop up and um you know maybe there's a, a breakout here or something uh who knows uh, maybe there's a government shutdown in a place. So there's going to be a lot of adjustments. Uh, you know, as Scott Housen said, uh, flexibility is going to be the, the key word this year. And I think now that you really start to get down to the details, uh, that's where you'll see that flexibility really be necessary. So flexibility is important, and it's important for uh, the president and for the Board of Governors. Uh, but the opposite end of the scale you see on, on uh, social media where – um, and and it relates more to the NHL, but it could apply to the AHL, where they're talking about the legitimacy, the the integrity of the game. And uh, do you think that um, that they're cognizant the the uh, the owners the uh, are cognizant of the fact that there is this discussion out there? Like, um, at, at which point is is it no longer a legitimate season? If you get below a certain number of games, if if it's a particular kind of playoff format, if if those kinds of flexibility issues then start to impede on the integrity of of making sure this season can match up against a champion of this season can match up against a a, a previous season or a future season. That's a great question. Um... I think a lot of, you know, talking to a lot of people around the league, um, they would say to that, uh, we don't care all that much about um, championships right now or anything of that nature. We just want to get our kids on the ice and let them play and uh, get through the season intact and um, come out of it, uh, you know, in in June and start planning in earnest for next year. but it's a great question. I mean, I don't think there's a great answer to it right now. I think you know, maybe we, we're past that point. Maybe mm-hmm. you just have to look at at this as not your traditional season. And um, if and when there is a champion uh, for this season, uh, it probably isn't the same as, you know, somebody that's gone through the 76-game schedule, gone through, you know, four rounds of playoffs, mm-hmm. uh gone through that whole nine month long uh, journey that's uh, you know now you're compressing a season into maybe about three months I mean teams playing the range of you know 24 minimum maybe somewhere up to 30 or 40 uh, and then some very sort of abbreviated playoff uh, I think the biggest thing they don't want to do is they don't want to have a long playoff run yeah uh, because sort of the longer that you delay getting out of this season, that's less time you have to prepare for next season. And a lot of these teams, I mean, their front offices haven't uh, been in place for quite some time. And 
Um, they want to get these people back to work as soon as they as, as they as they can, uh, or replace uh, people that have moved on. Uh, so I think kind of the theme of this season that I hear repeatedly is we're doing the NHL clubs a favor by playing at all. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're taking, you You're know, not wrong. Of, we're taking a lot of risk financially. Uh, we're taking on certainly a lot of, uh, work and a lot of burden, a lot of responsibility, um, you know, to get these players on the ice. Uh, but, uh, we can't do much for you beyond that. So, you know, sit tight <laughs> kind of, you know, so there's been a lot of that, uh, kind of that, uh, tug of war, if that's the right word, between uh, the NHL side and the AHL side, and it's always a little bit of a interesting, I think, dynamic because you have the AHL that is, you know, an independent lead, but what is essentially their labor supply comes from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the flip side, you have the NHL teams; they have their objectives, which is player to development and yet uh they're asking ahl clubs to take on a lot of financial risk so it's always kind of an uneasy uh dynamic i think in the best of times now with you at you add this pandemic to the situation it just kind of further you know further uh emphasizes that uh, somewhat unwieldy dynamic that's in place one thing that is going to be starkly different for every team who participates this year is the composition of their rosters. And it's kind of a trifecta of, of variables that are going to contribute to that. You've got most AHL teams, uh, their top tier talent is going to likely find themselves on the NHL affiliates taxi squad. So their top tier talent isn't going to be available to play. Uh, you've got, uh, because of, of this unknown AHL situation, you saw, um, AHL veterans leaving North America in droves to go get a job and play in Europe just so that they knew they had a guaranteed uh, place to play hockey this year, not knowing what the season was going to look like for the American League or what roster composition was going to be look like was going to look like. And then you add on top of that the rumors that are already starting to swirl about the viability of allowing CHL players to potentially uh, join the AHL affiliates uh, this year in some capacity. So. Wow. Um, (laughs) Whatever, whatever people thought rosters were going to look like this year, it's going to look nothing like that. And what do you what do you foresee as the biggest challenges surrounding all of that? And and how do they even wade their way through getting getting rosters done in that fashion? Well, if you thought there's a lot of turnover in a normal season, uh, (laughs) you you ain't see nothing yet. Yeah. Uh, that's a huge. That's a huge issue because I think the taxi squad um, kind of really threw a little bit of a, uh, a wrench into the plans for a lot of AHL clubs because now you're taking six top players off your roster, be they prospects or your older veteran type players. Um, right off the, the the hop, there you're you're already a, a much more weakened roster from there. So, uh, and then you like you say, you've had this this huge, uh, you know, excursion of, uh, players, uh, going over to Europe. I mean, I've spoken with a lot of different players throughout all this and guys that generally never would have considered going to Europe, uh, you know, usually for, you know, family reasons, 
found themselves taking jobs that they didn't think they would would normally take uh, because, like you said, simply you have to play and um, you you can't wait around forever uh, for the American League to decide whether or not they're playing. So, um, so that takes a whole other group off the roster. So. All of a sudden, I mean, you go through different depth charts for different clubs, and, and there's not a whole lot there right now. Uh, there's kind of a, a scattering of uh, maybe your your mid-range to lower-range prospects and uh, some uh, guys from the ECHL maybe to fill in some spots there. But um, I think that's where a lot of teams are counting on. They're counting on those CHL players to come in and, and take take a number of those roles. Uh, but then that opens up a whole other can of worms because we don't really know what the CHL plans to do, if anything. Um, the OHL had a February 4th start planned. Well, that got pushed back again. They haven't announced a new start. Uh, same thing with WHL. They're still in flux. Uh, so, you know, you start to open that influx, though, of, of 18, 19-year-old uh, first round, second round type picks. I mean, that would change a lot for this league. And um, if anything, if it happens, I think we'll sort of get a, a live experiment of uh, something that has been kicked around for a long time of, uh, you know, getting rid of that uh, CHL um, uh, exclusivity for, for players before their age of 20. So we'll sort of see it, um, you know, what it looks like if it does actually happen. I think that will be a really interesting storyline to, to track this season. Um, I know some coaches will certainly have to pull their hair out uh, uh, trying to manage a bunch of uh, young junior age players that they're not typically <laughs> accustomed to managing, <laughs> uh, you know, doing so in the pandemic and, you know, all the other uh, variables that have been thrown at them. Uh, so um, that's, I think, what could fill in some of the gaps on the roster. But the CHL uh, thing doesn't come to play. Um, I'm not entirely sure where some of these teams are going to find players because, um, the player market uh, right now has kind of been at a standstill for months and uh, players that had opportunities took them and uh, now you just have quite a few um, yeah, older veterans that um, are kind of just, you know, in a holding pattern, but, um, you know, they're just looking wherever they can find anything. Uh, so everybody's kind of, I think, scrambling. Uh, but there's the, the problem with all this is there's no playbook. There's nothing to draw from. Mm -hmm. um, you you can't you can't pick up the phone if you're a general manager and maybe call a mentor or somebody that you really leaned on for advice, um, because that person doesn't know the situation and how to navigate it any better than you do. Right. Uh, we've we've all gone through this for the first time and uh, trying to construct rosters on the fly and. Um, some older players, uh, especially those who have families, um, are certainly concerned about uh, what that means for them in terms of, you know, do I want to bring my family with me? You know, if, if we're kind of, you know, dealing with all this and, and everything that comes with, with safety. Uh, so there's a lot of stress out there right now. There's a lot of concern from players that, you know, is this worth it? Should I maybe just call it a career? I mean, uh, I know that there's already been a number of guys who have retired, uh, probably a little bit even prematurely, and uh, uh, it's it's some real hard decisions I think for a lot of lot of players that have to sit down with their families, with their agents, and and try to figure out their next step. 
as you said, there's no playbook, and and um, but there's also so many moving parts um, because you know that as you, we talked about the, the the player availability, and you have you have a whole division in the ECHL that's that had opted out, uh, and so you have that grouping there you have this this chl talent pool and and you you said there's an experiment there you know maybe this is an opportunity for some have seen that nhl chl agreement as a as a bit of a thorn given that that it doesn't operate the same as the your as uh, the european arrangement or the ncaa and maybe there's some opportunities here to to kind of figure things out and get it right there is. I think uh, for a player, I mean, I think players are paying a lot more attention um, to the market around them, um, leaning a lot more on uh, uh, their network and their, their, you know, their buddies and the players that they typically work with. Uh, um, you know, I think for a lot of players, they become accustomed to July 1st rolls around, July 2nd, the contract offer rolls in, I sign it, send it back. It's all good to go, right? Well, guys are realizing now that they're going to have to hustle a little bit more, and uh, they're going to have to mm-hmm. lean on their agents and 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 not sort of sit back and passively wait. So, um, even the top players are in that boat, and uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how some players are handling it. Uh, you know, uh, I think if you manage it right, you could find yourselves a great opportunity. I mean, there are some guys that. Um, I've spoken with who are over in Europe uh, who are looking actually at making the hop back to North America because they sort of they see an opening here and uh, they figure that you know the rosters have been completely upended and and uh, you know are in a lot of cases in a fair amount of disarray that uh, there there's an opportunity there if they if they play their cards right but um, the issue is there's still a lot of uncertainty and and there's not a whole lot of time we're a month out from the season starting. Uh, and uh, decisions have to be made quickly, but they're not necessarily able to be made quickly. So I think that's the conundrum that a lot of these uh, players and agents are facing right now. Well, I agree uh, with the term uncertainty. There's just, and I think that's been the the golden word for the last 10 months. Uh, But if there's one thing that we can be certain of is that – we can always come to you for some of these answers about what's <laughs> happening with the AHL. Uh, we know you really keep your finger on the pulse of, of everything happening uh, from within, you know, the, the front office of the league. Uh, and we certainly appreciate uh, in this whirlwind of a week you taking time out of your schedule to join us today on the Press Zone. It's always great to have you on. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'd love to come back soon. Thanks a lot, Patrick. We'll be sure to do that. Thank Take you. care. All right. Take care. Rick, it is always tremendous to have our uh, friend Patrick Williams on the show. He's a wealth of knowledge and um, about everything happening with the AHL. And, and and it was really helpful to just hear from him to help break down from from different sources what's 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 what with all this news that we've gotten this week. It was a great discussion. Very informative, as always. Absolutely. Uh, also, we did mention that uh, Patrick is a columnist for EP Ringside. He does have an article, uh, I believe, that's if it's not out today, it's coming out very soon that you'll want to uh, be sure you check out. So head over to EP Ringside and uh, check out Patrick's latest. 
Uh, we are going to take one quick break, and when we come back, we're going to go beyond the AHL and give you a quick update on some news out of the ECHL, as well as a quick look back at this year's World Juniors and how uh, the Canadians and Flyers prospects fared in the tournament. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. For all the latest news, interviews, analysis, and commentary about the Laval Rocket, Lehigh Valley Phantoms, and every other team in the American Hockey League, as well as information on prospects, junior hockey, and international hockey, head over to ahl.report, the home of the AHL Report. Follow along on Twitter at the AHL Report for live game updates, ringside photography, game recaps, and articles containing exclusive audio and video of your favorite players. That's the AHL Report, proud partner of Rocket Sports Media, AHL.Report. In every city around the world, sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints, some good grub, and to cheer for their team. Think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized? Or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game? HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are in your city to eat, drink, and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com. The Press Zone is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. In addition to building a worldwide network of sports fans, the team at RSM is also dedicated to mobilizing the sports community in ways that make a difference in the lives of others. Giving back to the community bridges the gap between team affiliations. It's something any fan can support. RSM proudly provided support for organizations and projects like Hockey Fights Cancer, Five Hole for Food, the Montreal Canadiens Children's Foundations, Autism Speaks, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada, and the People of Canada Portrait Project, just to name a few. If you would like to be involved with a Rocket Power project or have a worthy fundraising initiative you'd like us to be part of, please contact us at rocketsportsmedia.com. Welcome back once again here at the Press Zone on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Media. Thanks for joining us once more. I am your host, Amy Johnson, and my co-host is Rick Stevens. Again, be sure you're following us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us at the AHL Report. You can also follow this podcast's account at The Press Zone, uh, and you'll get some some great clips and information there as well. So be sure you're following us at the AHL Report or at The Press Zone. Uh, as we go beyond the AHL in this segment, Rick, first off, um, we knew from the get-go that the ECHL was going to start their season kind of in fits and starts. They they had a staggered start to their season. They started with a group of uh, a small group of teams uh, in early December. They were supposed to have a second grouping of teams start at the beginning of January. That got pushed back because of uh, COVID mitigation, uh, and so now the ECHL has announced its final roster of member teams for this season. And it seems that uh, the Fort Wayne Comets will play. They have opted in. Um, they are joining the 13 teams who began play on December 11th, and they will play a 50-game um, schedule. Um, 
don't know how that works exactly, starting this late, but okay. Uh, and the Toledo Walleye have elected to opt out of the season. So um, they will return to play next year. Uh, and uh, an updated ECHL schedule for games beginning on February 12th will be announced shortly, uh, as well as what the league plans to do for the format of this year's Kelly Cup playoffs. Um, Rick, the, the, the big thing here is for those players on the Toledo Walleye roster um, are now all immediately free agents for this season. That's a little different for someone who has just become a free agent this week as opposed to the teams who opted out back in November or December and had a lot of time to figure out where they were going to play for the season. Um, two months later is, is, is a much bigger deal for those those players. It's tough. And we should say the <clears throat> Toledo Walleye are uh, affiliated. Their AHL affiliate is the Grand Rapids Griffins, their NHL affiliate, the Detroit, Detroit Red Wings. And um, we saw all of the, those play at those uh, teams who um, uh, opted out a whole an entire division, as we talked about with Patrick mm-hmm. Williams in the last segment. Um it's 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 unknown what's going to happen to all of this player these players uh, and this this vast player pool where they're going to go if there's going to be jobs for them um, and and how they're you know going to continue their their careers and and unfortunately as we as we've seen some have uh, chosen to take an early retirement so it's um, it, it's very difficult it's very difficult for these the players especially at this level. Where um, you know the the options are are limited and 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 the you know it's not like they're sitting on uh, a past contract money with, that they can rely on. That's right. So it's a it's a tough situation and and also keep in mind keep in in your minds uh, the the staff of the Toledo Walleye as well who who now are without jobs for this season as well. It's a tough situation. Um, it's been tough for the ECHL. It's going to be tough for the AHL as well. Um, and, uh, we just, uh, take it day by day and hope things improve as quickly as possible. Uh, but there was some successful hockey that's been played so far this winter and, uh, the world juniors, I have to hand it to the IIHF. Uh, they pulled off a tremendous tournament all in one building. Um, and once they got, you know, COVID positive situations shortly after everyone's arrival squared away did not have another um, positive case throughout the tournament. Their bubble worked as the NHLs did um, in the return to play over the summer. Um, so I first I have to just congratulate the IIHF on on the tournament and and getting it. Uh, completed. Uh, there was some exciting hockey. There's plenty of controversy about, uh, you know, the big blowout games in the preliminary rounds uh, in the group play. But um, overall, Rick, I thought it was a it was a pretty entertaining tournament, and um, some of the prospects looked uh, pretty spectacular out there on on a number of different teams. And it's not to say the, the the virus had an effect on the tournament. Sure, um, it did. had an effect on the the roster of of Germany. Germany. It had a, an effect on the coaching staff of Sweden. Um, so it 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 was part of part of of the uh, the tournament. But as you said, it was managed uh, as best they could, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and and we we got a tur- we got a tournament that was um, exciting. That was. Um, you know, very, we saw a lot of talent out there and some excellent 
excellent hockey. We really did. Um, you know, it's funny saying, you know, everything was in one building. It took a took a little bit of schedule juggling and, and uh, you know, a lot of games played on the same ice all day. Uh, I saw someone, uh, I don't remember if it was Bob McKenzie or someone, excuse me, on Twitter who had noted that some of the scouts were saying, um, hey, this this having, you know, quarterfinals four games all in one day in the same building whereas normally the scouts have to decide are we watching the two quarterfinals in this building in one city or the two quarterfinals in this building in another city that they were like maybe again it's funny where there's this there's this common theme of there's been some changes in the hockey world that some people are going to say maybe that needs to become a thing um so we'll see how all of that all of that plays out. Um, but uh, congratulations to Finland on their bronze medal. Congratulations to Canada on the silver. Congratulations to USA on the gold. Uh, it was a. Uh, I thought that the the semis and and the and the medal games were were actually pretty exciting to watch. And and Rick, there were plenty of highlights for the Montreal and Philadelphia prospects for sure. <laughs> there were. Um, um, Go ahead. No, so no, I was just going to say, you know, wh- whether it's you know, Cole Caulfield, Caden Gooley, um, for uh, for for Team Canada. Why is the third third prospect for Canada uh, for the Canadians just Cole Caulfield my- for for Team USA and and uh, Caden uh, Gooley for uh, Team Canada. Jan yeah, Mishak for uh, the Czechs. Thank you. <laughs> um, those are the three uh, Canadians prospects in the tournament. That's right. And then for uh, for the Flyers, of course, we saw plenty of Cam York and Bobby Brink, um, and Emil Andre uh, had some had some good games uh, as well. So I, I thought there was a good showing. Um, I think. Cole Caulfield had a lot of splash as far as media and fans were concerned, and he certainly um, he certainly had some moments where he was really playing uh, some good setup hockey. Um, I think he probably fell short in terms of actual point production. I think people probably expected him to be a little more involved in point production, um, but as far as Caden uh, Gooley and Jan Mishak. I actually thought Jan Mishak had a had a very good tournament, um, despite them leaving the tournament a little early. Um, I thought Jan Mishak did very well, and um, and Caden Gooley certainly deserves some some credit for his work on Team Canada. Jan Mishak was um, was a revelation. He was. Uh, I mean, he's a smart, poised uh, leader on that Czech team. Uh, did everything was out there in every situation. Um, he looked really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Caden Gooley had his, his moments. He was pretty solid early on in the tournament as things, uh, as there was a bit more pressure, his, uh, decision-making, uh, might've been questioned, um, you know, whether it's, uh, the, the, whether his defense or, 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 uh, his choices in the offensive zone. Uh, but that's just a reflection of, of him being young and raw, uh, Cole Caulfield, uh, one of the oldest players in the tournament, um, yeah, he he just wasn't a factor at all uh, in the in the U.S. win. Um, you know, it was it was other players, uh, his teammates that uh, whether it's you know Trevor Zegras, of course, the MVP mm-hmm. of the the tournament, Matthew Boldy, um, uh, uh, John Farinacci, Arthur uh, Kaliev, all of those uh, players uh, played a, a significant role, and and um, you know does it does it 
is that the sum total of of Cole Caulfield's uh, 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 junior career? No, of course not. But uh, it does leave um, some questions that need to be answered, and they need to be answered by Cole Caulfield. And and uh, whether he's, you know, this was a, a showcase for him, best on best, and and um, for the second year in a row, he was very underwhelming, and and. Um, Looks like he's going to be a little further away from an NHL lineup than uh, than some have been predicting. Now, you know, media was very hyped on him. Uh, fans were very hyped on him. And and don't don't get me wrong. Uh, Cole Caulfield has a ton of energy. Um, he certainly he 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 flies around the ice. He's got a lot of energy. Um, he po- he disappears and then he pops up uh, in unexpected places. And 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 you see that happen. He had a, a couple of nice setups. Um, for for some of his teammates and so forth, but again, it's it's just uh, it's the consistency of play in play. It's his uh, defensive responsibility, um, which which Tony Granado has admittedly said he's got he's he's started to make improvements on. But but that was Granado's uh, big uh, concern last year in in Cole Caulfield's uh, freshman year, uh, and that's it's it's showing that that still needs to uh, to be improved on. And frankly, um, I th- I think Cole Caulfield could have found the back of the net um, a few more times had he he he. It's it's almost like he tries to do too much because he's just trying to make the big play, um, and if he would simplify things a little more, I think he might find a little more success. And maybe that comes with a little more maturity and some more time spent in the NCAA. Um, Caulfield is loves to score goals. He does. And um, instead of being so focused on scoring goals, he needs to love to be a good teammate. Um, I in, in my opinion, you know, okay, he yeah. had he had two power play goals. And that was it. Um, he didn't score five on five. And one of those power play goals was five on three. So um, it, interestingly that uh, uh, he was the only, the only U.S. forward uh, who was a minus on the plus minus scale. And, and yes, that's the, the plus minus is not, is not an overall uh, rating of, of uh, how you can perform. It's a flawed rating. Uh, but when, all of the other forwards, when you put it into the context that all of the other forwards were significantly on the plus side mm-hmm. for the U.S. team, um, Cole Caulfield didn't didn't pull his weight in terms of offense or defense, um, and and he did so while being uh, used the second most used forward uh, on uh, Team USA. Yeah, that's that's a big that's a big factor there as well. So, room for improvement. We know that, uh, and and let's hope that he has some time to to let all of that sink in, and has some some quality work uh, to do uh, in the NCAA. Uh, on the flyer side of thing, how things, however, um, Bobby Brink and Cam York looked fantastic. I have to say, I'm really impressed with Bobby Brink's play this tournament. Um, that that third line, he and uh, Farinacci. Um, and I'm trying to think of who else was on that line, and it's it's my, I'm drawing a blank at the moment. But but that third line was dangerous. Bobby Brink was battling for pucks. He was constantly in the way. He was playing well defensively. Um, I I was just really impressed with Bobby Brink uh, in this. And Cam York was 
the solid defenseman that we that that Flyers fans want him to be and we're hoping he would be. Uh, he looked very good. Uh, I think he was the right choice um, with with the C on on his uh, on his chest. I think he I think he did a, a very very commendable job in this tournament. And we'll just mention as far as the All Stars uh, mm-hmm. as chosen by the media. Uh, we have uh, in goal Devin Levi uh, on defense, Boehm Byron from Canada, Villanola, the the Jets prospect from Finland, at forward Trevor Zegras from the Americans, Dylan Cousins from Canada, and Tim Stutzla from Germany. The MV, overall MVP chosen by the media was Tev- Trevor Zegras. And um, you submitted a ballot. How did uh, your ballot compare? Uh, the media ballot that I submitted, yes. Don't forget, we were accredited media for for the World Junior Tournament, which meant that we were we did participate in in the All Star and MVP vote. Uh, my ballot um, looked exactly like that. Ah. what you just read. Uh, I was uh, <laughs> I was quite um, I was I was actually I'm. I may have, I'm trying to remember, because you can't go back in and look at your ballot once, once voting has closed. Um, I know I was tossing, can't, Vili Hanola, I, I, I definitely had, um, I'm, I don't remember if I went with Cam York or Bowen Byram. That's the only thing that I can't, because I was going back and forth between Cam York and Bowen Byram. So that may, if I didn't, if I took York, that may be the only discrepancy, but other than that, top to bottom, MVP and everyone else on the, on the, on the on the list uh, was exactly who I chose. So, As far as the IIHF, uh, their directorate uh, awards went to uh, Devin Levi again uh, for best goalie. Best defenseman was Tapi Nimala from uh, Finland, and their best forward was named as Tim Stutzla. Which I think is, is tremendous. Um, Tim Stutzla had a great tournament. Germany, you know, I feel for Germany... Um, as you mentioned, with the COVID situation, they had a really, really rough start to the tournament. Uh, but for them to then make the quarterfinals for the first time in a long time uh, was was a, I mean, you have to commend them on battling through, uh, what was it, the first day of group play, there were 14 skaters yeah. on that bench. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looked like a ghost town on that bench. Um to make it to the to make it to the quarters, that is a commendable job. They should all be proud. And Tim Stutzla showed that he mean he he's there to play some serious hockey. Uh, I I look forward to seeing uh, how he develops later in his career for sure. The Germany uh, players bench looked much like a Flyers players bench from the seventies, except all the Flyers were in the the penalty box at the time. Mm-hmm. Or from a couple of years ago when Claude Giroux and about six other people were piled in the. <laughs> penalty box it's still one of my favorite gifts that circulates you know you got to do what you got to do on broad street you just got to do what you got to do uh so another world juniors in the books um one thing that i would i have to agree that i would like to see stay i really enjoyed watching the captains hand out medals oh i love that yeah two reasons i think that's a really special honor for a captain to be able to do that and 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 hand out those medals to his teammates, um, I think it's a a, shi- a sign of respect that that the rest of the teammates get to receive their medal from their captain. Um, but I also think, particularly for the silver medalist, which is probably the most difficult medal to accept emotionally, for the captain of 
that has to hand that out. And was it, I think it was, was it Bo and Byram that, That's right. that did last night? It is, remember how old these kids are. To have to hand out that silver medal is an exceptional and very rare opportunity to teach a lesson in leadership. Because if you if you were watching after the game last night, uh, when Bowen Byram was announced as Canada's player of the game, he was inconsolable. He His head was buried in the shoulder of his teammate next to him. He was sobbing uh, because of the loss. He sucked it up and put on a, a, a good face and handed out the medals like a leader would. And as soon as, as soon as he was done, skated back to the rest of his teammates and burst into tears again. And I, and I think, and that showed exactly that leadership lesson of I'm in a gut-wrenching wrenching situation right now, but I have to take a deep breath and be a leader. And I think that's a great lesson for, for a young captain to learn. So both, um, both for gold medalist or any of them, it's an honor, but I think it also was a good teaching moment. Well, th- this was obviously um, initiated because of the COVID situation, uh, but I don't think that that the the tournament organizers were expecting that there would be this this lesson, as you describe it, and mm-hmm. and uh, and I hope too, and many have said so on social media that this is uh, a feature that's kept. For sure, I, it was it was very touching, um, and it was very special to watch, uh, and I and I hope they continue that. Um, I'm gonna just since we've we've uh, we've had a lot to talk about today, so my feel good finale is gonna be very very short, and you may have already seen this fly around on social media somewhere, but I liked it so much that I just I have to share it that. No time else in our lives other than this week can we legitimately say that, you know what, as far as things go, hindsight is 2020. It's in the past. It's gone. Is that like supreme dad joke material <laughs> or what? Dad, but hindsight is is now officially 2020. It's uh-huh. in the past, and we're going to have a great year ahead uh, here at Rocket Sports Media. I can just... Feel it, and we hope all of you out there have a great year ahead as well. We do. Uh, so be sure you're following us uh, on Twitter. As I said, you can find Rick on Twitter at AllHabs. You can find me on Twitter at FlyersRule. And uh, Rick, what's that website in case anyone wants to go back and catch any episodes they may might have missed over the holidays? Well, the two most important websites. Uh, there's the website as associated with. Uh, all of our AHL reporting, and it's ahl.report or ahlreport.com. Either one will get you there. Um, if you're looking at uh, for Canadians' information specifically, that's uh, allhabs.net. Um, and then we also have our podcast website, which is rocketsportsradio.com. Excellent. We thank you so much for being here with us this week. Happy New Year. May you have a, a, a very safe, joyous, healthy, happy New Year ahead of you in 2021. Uh, and we will be back with you again right here next week for another great episode of From the Press Box as we bring you a show on the eve of the start of the NHL season. You won't want to miss it. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Click subscribe to never miss an episode of The Press Zone on Rocket Sports Radio. Visit AHLReport.com for the latest news on hockey prospects.